Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. Today we will talk about our trip to Chernihiv, northern Ukraine, which was which heavily suffered from the war, from the destruction. We will share you with you what we have seen, uh, what what people have we met. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org and I am joined by Titana Oharkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Hello, Tanya. Hello. Um, in, uh, Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGO. Before we start, let me remind you that you can uh, always support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We spend a big amount of your donations to help people who uh, suffered from the war, to help Ukrainian resistance, uh, and to do those volunteer trips that we are making, in particular that one on in Chernihiv. So let's talk about this region, and let's, let's start maybe... If by explaining what is Chernihiv, why it is important not to confuse it with other cities, because I will tell you a story that I posted some of the videos from our trip to Chernihiv, and a person told me that, uh, maybe from Romania, that the city is actually call, called uh, Chernovitz. Uh, so, obviously, there is a, con- a confusion because Ch- Chernovitz or Chernivtsi or Chernautsi is, is a city in Bukovina in western Ukraine. We are talking about Chernihiv in northern Ukraine. What is... What is Chernihiv and why it is important? Well, Chernihiv is really a very important city in Ukraine, even if it's not the biggest one. So the population before the war was around 270,000 of population there. Uh, but it is uh, at the same time, time one of the most ancient cities in Ukraine, close to Kiev, 120 up to 150 kilometers to the north of uh, Kiev, close to Belarus. So this is important strategically in this war. One of the most beautiful because you have a lot of churches, a lot of Ukrainian ancient churches. If when you when we traveled to Chernihiv in peaceful times, it was to visit churches of the 11th century. Uh, 10th century as well, uh, to visit uh, monasteries, to visit caves, and really beautiful nature. They have this Desna river there in Chernigiv, and beautiful parks and beautiful architecture. So um, Chernigiv was... This is a medieval city, medieval right? City, with the, with yeah. the big history, which dates back to the Middle Ages, to the Rus, and the Kievan Rus, and Chernigiv princes were a little bit maybe less important than Kiev princes, but still a very, very big city. Yeah, that, that's time. why it was so painful in the first days of war. I do remember when we uh, when we learned about this first challenge of Chernigiv, we were very much worried about its architecture, about its people for sure, but also about this uh, architecture, about houses, about monasteries, about churches. So all that beautiful things we, we observed many times. We traveled many times to Chernigiv before the war and we do know that many tourists, many international people who arrive here in Kiev if they, uh, they like to spend one day or two days traveling to the city just to enjoy this beautiful nature and these uh, landscapes and views. So it was very painful to know in the first days, from the first days of the war, that Chiringi was shelled. Then it was surrounded um, on the three sides by Russian troops. They stayed extremely close to the city, even if they, even, uh, they sometimes entered the city. So what we knew... Late in March, we learned that uh, Chernigiv was cut off from Kiev. The bridge was destroyed, the main bridge uh, coming to Chernigiv. Unfortunately, we know people who died, who were killed 
on their way to Chernigiv. Uh, for example, people transporting humanitarian aid because the uh, city was besieged for many weeks and we imagined a disastrous situation on the ground and some people, some volunteers and militaries they were trying to, to get access to the city to report humanitarian aid. So uh, it is difficult to express how happy we were when we learned that Chernigiv was liberated and that uh, Russian troops left the region. And this trip was very important for us to see how what 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 does it look like after this uh, departure of Russian troops. It was not occupied, so Chernigiv uh, protected. In a way, we can say that Chernigiv protected uh, Kiev at least from yes, one the, direction. The people in Chernigiv, and we totally agree with them, say told us this, the following phrase: "If Ukraine is a shield of Europe, then Chernigiv is a shield of Kiev." Uh, they are absolutely right. Uh, Russians they were approaching Kiev from many directions. One direction is from the eastern part, like they were approaching Brovary. They were not approaching from Chernigiv direction, but from Priluki direction. But Chernigiv is somehow more north, uh, in the north, and they were trying to get this big road linking Chernigiv and Kiev, so very highway, really good road, broad road. They were incapable to do so. If they managed, for example, to control this road, I, I think they will be very soon here in Brovary and later in Kiev. So it was a very important resistance point of uh, Ukrainian resistance around Chernigiv. Uh, they were strong enough to keep for more than one month because they started in the first in the last days of February and the whole month of March. So and then uh, they so mm, March is was a real really difficult uh, difficult uh, month for Everything which is, uh, I mean, for for everything which is around Kiev, Kiev, uh, right? So for Kiev suburbs, for villages around Kiev, for for Bucha, obviously for Borodyanka that we visited before, and for Chernihiv as well. And uh, let's tell some stories. So Chernihiv is a, is a has a specific geography. Uh, I think it's like fifteen kilometers to. 12 kilometers so it's kind of a square city and therefore uh, it is it is compact it's it's very pleasant to to travel to 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 walk around because everything is close but at the same time from the military point of view it is very fragile and uh, the, the the shellings were, were from both sides of the city from uh, from on the one side on the one outskirts there were Russians on the other outskirts there were Ukrainians and people inside were just in between this constant shelling so they were they were seeing the shells the missiles the uh, flying over them for for a month and uh, and they learned how to differentiate by sound the different the different shells the different type of shells but also who is actually shooting is it ukrainians or is it russians and the direct result of that uh, artillery positions is that when you observe now chernigiv you see that the center of the city is almost almost not destroyed so the very center but there, there are some buildings some which some, are destroyed some buildings totally. like like library this historical library of the beginning of the 20th century some uh, hotel in the center of uh, Hotel Ukraine, yeah, but yeah. but also the the, the, the building on the Krasna Ploshe, the, cen- the the central the central square. Uh, I I don't exactly remember, but it, there is just a facade which is left. Yeah, but uh, if you if we are talking generally, so the cent- city center is 
more preserved. But when you travel, when you go out a little bit and you approach the outskirts of the city, you see complete ruins everywhere. Like, for example, in Bobrovica, Bobrovica, maybe, it's like Saltivka in Kharkiv. So it is east, north and east, northeast direction. So the closest direction to Russia. So, and there, uh, their positions were, and you see in huge residential area, one-story buildings, private houses, most of them, they completely destroyed. There is no single house which is left uh, in its normal um, Yes, uh, yes. You at some uh, areas of this Bobrovica, every single house is destroyed. There is a difference between uh, Bobrovica and Saltivka in Kharkiv because Saltivka is a multi-store building, 16-floor buildings, big residential buildings. Bobrovice is mostly looks like a village, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, small private houses. And what we have been told by the authorities is that uh, 148, if I'm not mistaken, multi-store buildings had direct uh, sh shelling. So they suffered from direct, how to say, direct bombing, shelling. Uh, direct, direct shelling or bombing, because right, there were so also, also jets fl um, arriving and... Uh, so 148 and 2,000 uh, private small houses, right? So 2,000, can, can you imagine 2,000 houses either damaged or destroyed? Yeah, and about victims. So also authorities told us about the victims, about uh, 1,000 people ki were killed during this uh, military operation, these hostilities during one month, and most of them were killed by shellings because Russian troops were not on the ground, and among them, unfortunately, 16 children. Uh, at the same time, uh, a lot of families left Chernigiv in the first days of this full-scale invasion because Russian troops arrived extremely quickly to Chernigiv. It's extremely close to the border. You can look at the Google map and you'll see how close it is to Belarus. Um, and about 70,000 out of 270,000 in the beginning of the war. So only 70,000 left, were left during this... State. St mm. state stayed in this during this um, uh, March. Uh, so let so us say one third, 30%, maybe, a 30% of, maybe even more, less, less than 30%. Le uh, less, I think, 25, right? If you yeah. take... 270,000 and yeah. 70,000 who stayed. It's 25%, 25 one, yes. one quarter of, of population stayed and most of people with kids, they, they left. But uh, we met people who stayed during these uh, hard times for Chernigiv and they told us a lot of interesting and heartbreaking stories. Yes, we, we met volunteers from the organization which is called Balsanka and very brave people. Uh, women, young women, women and uh, lots of stories that uh, that uh, they told us. Uh, one of them is Vira Kuriko, who is a very talented Ukrainian reporter. So maybe she will uh, publish something on this, and uh, she already published several books. And um, and uh, le let's not forget that the, the city during one month was with, without electricity and without water. So it was like in Mariupol, right? So what's happening when you don't have electricity? Nothing, nothing is functioning, actually. You, you can't get water, for example, the drinking water. Uh, 
And, yeah, uh, about water, it's different a little bit. They had water, but there were no water in houses. So let's explain it. Yeah, yes, th- th- that's that's what I'm trying to explain. So contrary to Mariupol, where we had uh, those heartbreaking stories that people were melting snow to get water, it was in March. And imagine a city in March, very cold. There is still snow outside. So the, the, the temperature is minus uh, something Celsius. Imagine how you, for example... There is no heating, of course, no yeah, no, no electricity, heating. no heating. Imagine how you sleep during the night. So it's especially if you are in in a bomb shelter. So it, uh, apart from these horrible shellings, there are also very harsh conditions for life. And uh, Chernihiv also without electricity, without water, but uh, Chernihiv is um, has access to deep deep water, deep underground water, and therefore the uh, despite this company, Vodokanal, we call it in Ukraine, a company which is supplying water, uh, many of its uh, utilities were specifically targetly destroyed, destroyed by, yeah, by the, the Russians. And uh, mm-hmm. Russians really target infrastructure. The infrastructure which ha- which which is you know uh, helps the city to survive <clears throat> if it is uh, encircled, if it it is surrounded. So it's it's always it's typical. It repeats from the city to the city. And uh, but this Voda Canal was still getting water from the underground. They went through people and just distributing. So the, the, imagine lines of people staying for the for the water. Lines of many dozens and hundreds in each district. By the way, the water in Chernihiv is something really extraordinary because the source is really deep under the un, in the underground, seven hundred meters. So and they were getting this water from the underground in peaceful times as well. So it's very clean water. It's natural water. It's not water from the snow from the river which was distillated or whatever or purified in a way it was really this water and then this company they tried to 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 distribute it among population uh, just in in this uh, using these cars you know but the system was very complicated one because they were hesitant to publish anything online because russians we do remember, maybe everybody remembers that um, this uh, tragic episode when the Russians uh, shelled into a line of people who were just in front of the shop to get bread. It happened in March, and we remember this uh, to this terrible uh, picture. So they were trying to do so with water as well. So for this water company to distribute water, they were trying to explain people where is exact place where they will be distributing water, but using the language Russians will never understand. For example, they were describing, so um, at 5 a.m. so we'll start distributing water in a district where it was extremely hard to get to to construct trolleybus line so and people who were local they they were it, for, for them it was clear where the place is but for um for for strange for for russians it was not clear so they were trying to hide exact places and what they were going to do so it's 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 a very specific thing how language is used during the war right how uh, how you should say something that your enemy will hear but not understand right so th- there is also a question of of deciphered or how to say it 
deciphered or ciphered language the encoded encoded, encoded language encoded right language. so you, you you need to use some codes which are understood and may, right? maybe the last detail about this line of people to get bread so the uh, p- local people these uh, volunteers from balsanka balsanka unit balsanka organizational uh, they told us this tragic story because that day people arrived to get bread and they were told that there will be no bread today but still they were making line just hoping that they maybe it's not true maybe they will bring the bread so they were maybe hungry so they were staying in this line and at that time russians shelled at them so everybody was killed coming back to water chernihiv is very famous for its beer most uh, both industrial production the chernihivske uh, brand which is very popular in ukraine and those foreigners who who, who are coming to ukraine surely know this beer <clears throat> but also my favorite beer i'm i'm actually not a beer drinker but my favorite craft beer i mean in a private craft uh, uh, breweries was from chernihiv and unfortunately both this big industrial factory and uh, this craft beer were destroyed by the russians uh, i hope Ukraine will rebuild it but it's it is also kind of a gastronomical heritage yeah, which which yeah. we will lack. Uh, other stories which were told us is that the life under under this war is very specific. For example, money don't don't matter. You cannot Enter. buy anything. And there is something some other economy which is uh, which is going on during the war. The economy in which you exchange goods Uh, goods are very contingent so one time you exchange uh, a, a package of of uh, of uh, of fish for for a cigarette cigarettes are very important currency for those who smoke because they cannot survive without smoking and the key goods are cigarettes sugar and salt and why salt is important because no electricity no refrigerators salt is the only way for you to save food to preserve food to preserve food, food for example food for example meat mm-hmm. the only the only way how you can preserve meat is by salting it mm-hmm. right so so these are the stories so this is about the fragility of civilization what we also experience here in kiev but what we've been told in chernigiv it's even bigger so the, the, the very single day the war starts and then you you lose your normal way of life and there is no money doesn't matter there is no public transport it doesn't matter so there is only cars if you have one and if you have the possibility to get to get gas for for your car um you are not in security anywhere wherever you are so you hear these shellings these planes uh, constantly uh, you struggle to get some food you exchange things you have against things you need some people and the stories they told that uh, humanitarian aid is also something something sometimes very funny but when for example uh, volunteers were contacted by a company producing uh, chicken somewhere out of occupation they were uh, they were preparing to move maybe to the west we don't know exactly but they were preparing a lot of chicken and they suggested these people in Chernigiv in net this volunteer network to transport 20 
tons of chicken. Just come, do you need 20 tons of chicken? They, yes, indeed, we do, we do need these 20 tons of chicken. So they're arriving with the big trucks. They bring these 20 tons of chicken, but then they get to know that other volunteers, they were also proposed these 20 tons of chicken. So everybody in Chernigiv was had access to this chicken. So, and they, it was maybe the most, uh, the most, uh, popular food for a week because everybody was eating the same product but yeah, so only you, chicken nothing more you didn't have you don't have bread you don't have water but you have your chicken chicken and, for breakfast for lunch for dinner and, during and the night uh, the other week you have oranges for example uh, oranges arriving like, like humanitarian aid and all the 70,000 people living in Chernigiv they're eating only oranges because volunteers brought them oranges and you exchange so you try to exchange your your chicken against something more more interesting but you cannot because everybody has chicken but nobody <laughs> has anything more interesting and this story told by one volunteer she smoked yeah and she told us a story when she bought one kilogram of fish and she lived with a kind of a family and then she was with this package of fish in her hands and she sees a man who started to, starts to smoke and she asks him, could you please give me a cigarette? And he looks at her and she says, okay, but could you give me your fish? And she was so eager to smoke that she exchanged this one kilogram of fish, frozen fish, if I'm not mistaken, against one cigarette. And she comes back and she tells the story to her uh, friend, was living with with the family and she's also happy because she's also a smoker but apart from this friend there is there is a mother and three kids and they are looking quite differently so i think it was uh, it was vira kurika whom whom we mentioned who told us this story right yeah if i'm not mistaken uh, another thing I, I remember is that uh, the, the, these people told us <clears throat> that uh, rush about these Russian jets who were flying, who were uh, sending these shells at, at four in the morning, four or five in the four, morning, four in the morning, every every single every. night, every single night. So four in the morning, there is there is a big big fighter jet so who uh, flies over the city and just shells it, right. So um, another dramatic thing is that uh, there are cultural sites which are destroyed. There is a library uh, founded by by the Tarnovsky family, very very important for for Chernihiv and for the oblast. You can see it if you are looking watching us on YouTube. You can you can watch it uh, this this library, and uh, it's also there were also shells against. Uh, against the stadium. I remember that a uh, very, very good team, Desnachernihiv, was playing on the stadium. And also, I think one of the most tragic buildings, this which you mentioned, the Hotel Ukraine, very symbolically, uh, half of the building have collapsed uh, after the shell, after the the airstrikes. So this is a missile strike. Missile strike. Yeah. Somehow, so a kind of symbol of Chernigiv, where every tourist knows this hotel. So it is the very center of the city. So it's a real tragedy, and without any explanation. I don't know. Russian propaganda was saying about some maybe foreign soldiers staying at this hotel, but it looks doesn't look really like that. 
We also traveled in the region. We visited uh, two villages. Uh, one is called Ichnya, another is called uh, Parafivka. We met the local dwellers. We kind of we traveled with Pan Ukraine. We didn't mention it. Pan Ukraine, which is a Ukrainian writers and uh, human rights defender organization, very active. So we brought these people some books. Uh, very open people. We had a frank discussion actually with them, uh, with other Ukrainian writers. And we also traveled to Kachanivka, which is a fantastic place. Uh, and for, for those of, of uh, who are listening to us, for, for those foreigners who will come to Ukraine, and also Ukrainians, I'm sure that not so many people were in Kachanivka. Kachanivka is a great place with a great palace. We also filmed something uh, inside, and, and you can see this palace if you're watching on, on us on YouTube. Fantastic, very beautiful, and very beautiful natural park. And, and historically also very and historically important because very a lot important. of famous people like uh, Shevchenko, like uh, Gogol, like Markovovchok, uh, like Glinka, the composer, Russian composer, were there. They were the guests of the family of Tarnovsky. Tarnovsky was the owner for, for many for many years, two generations of Tarnovsky were owners of this uh, palace. And now, nowadays you can stay in this palace in itself, in fact, almost in the palace. Uh, it's like of uh, like uh, hotels, so you can just rent it for one night or several nights as well in a beautiful park. And we were happy enough to see that Kachinivka was not touched by the war. It was quite far away from these main roads. Uh, Russian army was approaching uh, Kiev, so we, they were lucky during this invasion. But this is one of the one of the most significant places in Ukraine to visit after the war, for sure. And there is also one of the important places uh, which we visited before before the war last year, just for our purposes, which is Baturin. One of the hetmans, uh, Ukrainian hetmans, capital city, it's symbolic uh, and very symbolic also if you compare with Chernihiv, because uh, the Russian troops were completely destroyed the city after Ivan Mazepa joined uh, Swedish King Charles the Twelfth during the Second uh, Northern War, and uh, this was one of the episodes of Ukraine's fight for independence. So Russians completely destroyed the city and massacred all, all its population. So this was also an act of genocide. And we see that uh, how the things are repeating. Maybe let's explain the last thing about the transport, about how do you travel in Ukraine after the war. So in order to get to Chernigiv, you cannot follow the normal road. So the direct road from Kiev to Chernigiv, because the bridge just in the, when you enter Chernigiv, normally you have to cross the bridge. This bridge was destroyed in the end of March. So now you had to, and there is not a lot of bridges um, in Disna. So for this river, this now, so you have to turn left in the Oster city, Oster village, and then you continue to the north. And it takes much more time, but locals, what they do, in order not to not to drive longer, because the gas is also uh, hard to find and it is expensive. What they do, they drive to this destroyed bridge and then they cross the bridge by foot. They get into Chernigiv, they do whatever they want. They cross to. the pedestrian bridge, pedestrian, not but the, the destroyed bridge. Yeah, not destroyed, but pedestrian, another one, but close, close to this one, which was destroyed. And then if they if they need to go out of the city, they cross the river by foot, and then they arrive to their car, which is parked 
just in front of this destroyed bridge, they take the car and they travel to Kiev. So the kind of logistic so nightmare. Everything, yeah, is complicated. There are very few bridges over Disna. Disna is a fantastic river in Ukraine, one of our favorite. We're uh, we're living close to Disna, but there is no not so many ways to cross it. But this is the story. This was a story about Chernihiv, uh, a, a city also, a city fortress, we can say, a city that in many cases saved or helped to save Kiev, a city which was attacked by from the Russian territory, but also from the Belarusian territory, unfortunately. And now the city is coming back to life, uh, but of course is living also with a very tense situation because Russians continue their missile strikes. About 200,000 people are already back, so out of 270,000. Yes. So this was a Explaining Ukraine podcast. Uh, Tatiana Harkova and Volodymyr Yermolenko. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Ukraine World. We sent a big amount of your donations to help people who suffered from the war and to help Ukrainian resistance. Follow us in social networks and stay with us and stand with Ukraine.